Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. As we prepare to go through that chapter this evening. So Exodus chapter 4. So let's uh, read through this together. Um, Let's read down to verse 17, even though we are going to go through the whole chapter. And just let the Lord begin to set the tone in our hearts for what he wants to speak to us this evening. Then Moses answered. So remember now we're kind of in the middle of the interaction, chapter 3, where God met him at the burning bush. And so this interaction is still carrying on in chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he, God said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom, and he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even in these two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. And the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and, and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do signs. 
So Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. And as always, we look to you this evening and trust that you will minister to us and speak to us the things that we need to hear. And God, there is much here this evening for all of us. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you've just spoken to my heart as I've been working through this passage. And thank you for your goodness, Lord, to us. And as we read through it and study it, Lord, just open our hearts to receive everything you have for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Moses is having this conversation with God by the burning bush. And as uh, God had interacted with him and he introduced himself and he said, I am who I am, as Moses said, well, who am I and who are you? We know that Moses, in meeting God in that moment, certainly was awed at God, but at the same time he had questions, just as it would be so natural for many of us to do, just to have a question about the things of the Lord. But remember, as we were studying this last week and working our way through chapter 3, God had to really press into Moses that I will be with you. And I am means the eternally existent one, and of course, not just existent in a place in heaven, but that he is always present with us everywhere at all times. We know that as his omnipresence. So as Moses and God are interacting here, we come back to sort of the middle of their conversation as God is both calling and commissioning Moses. And so here in verse verse one, as we pick it up, it says, then Moses answered and said, but, now whenever we are saying but to the Lord, it's usually not a good sign for us. Lord, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice or suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. I've called this message tonight, Stop Making Excuses, because in this short little passage, three times Moses made an excuse to the Lord as to why he was the wrong choice for the job. So first he says to the Lord, well, okay, Lord, again, we talked about this last week and even the the first uh, week we got into the book of Exodus of how we can get like this with the Lord, can't we? Because we, honestly, we have to admit it, we're control freaks and we want to know the plan. But you see, when God is speaking with us, it's not important to know the plan. It's just important to know him. When Moses said to God in our passage last week, well, who am I, you know, that you should speak to me and that I should go do these things? Remember, as we looked at that, we said, the question is not who am I, but who is God? So as Moses speaking here in verse one says, well, Lord, okay, I know you're saying you're going to send me, but what if I go and they don't want to listen to me? Right? I mean, nobody's really listened to me in the past. Maybe he's thinking back 40 years earlier to when uh, he had killed the Egyptian. Then the next day, as he went to his brethren who were fighting, and he said, what are you guys doing? Your brothers, please stop. And they said, well, who are you who made you a Lord over us? And perhaps he still had been playing that in his mind, as we often do with our tragic mistakes, don't we? Sometimes we can't get over them, and we, we keep replaying them in our minds. And so 
He's, you know, what if I go back now and they won't listen to me? He's not thinking about the fact that it's been 40 years and God's going, going to answer that a little bit later uh, about the people and are they even still there and will they even listen to me? Will they remember me? But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice or suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. What these kinds of questions really speak as he's saying here, well, you know what? Others will not believe me. This is his first objection or excuse. You know, Lord, others are not going to listen to me. And if we translate that, what that really means is, God, I do not believe you can or that you will use me. That's what's behind the statement. And God always goes beyond the fruit of our tongue to the root of our tongue. So the Lord said to him in verse 2, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And so God said to him, cast it on the ground. And so he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. I don't know about you, but I probably would, you know, just in the moment. I'm not terribly afraid of snakes, but, you know, if it had become a spider, I would have run like the Dickens for me. But he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. Notice verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So what is God doing here? First of all, he's graciously answering Moses's excuse and objection. He says, well, what if they will not believe me? Well, he says, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to empower you for the job that I've called you to do. I'm going to, again, be with you. And so if it's going to take signs and wonders to convince them, now, right now we're talking about his own people, the people that God wants to deliver. We're not even talking about the Egyptians. Remember last week, God said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, but I'm quite sure Pharaoh will not believe. And he's going to come back to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian people in a moment. But right now he's talking about the people of God. And when God said to Moses, what is that in your hand? Isn't this so often what God says to us? Do you remember in the Gospels, in the feeding of the 5,000? In Mark chapter 6, we find this account, and this is actually in all the Gospels. But Jesus answered the disciples as he told them to send the people away. Uh, as they, they came to him and said, we should send the people away. And Jesus said, here, you give them something to eat. But they said to him, Shall we go and, and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Sort of like Moses. This is an impossible situation, God. Even if we had the money, it wouldn't be enough to feed everyone. But Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And well, this is really very much like what's in your hand. What do you have? What are your resources to do what God is asking you to do? And I think if we're honest, anytime God might speak to us and ask us to do something, when we stop and take resource account in ourselves, we kind of realize our deficiency and our inadequacy. And when we look around us and we, we see, well, what do we have? What do I have? What's in my bank account? What do I have in my car? You know, whatever it is, 
And we look at it and we say to God, well, all I have is this. It's not much, God, and what, what can you do with that? And then Jesus commanded them, in Mark's account here, Mark chapter 6, to make them all sit down in groups. They sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, now what did Jesus do? He looked up to heaven. He blessed and he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. Now, each of the accounts said it was 5,000 men. And then besides women and children, so conservatively 10,000, probably as high as 15,000. At any rate, when you say, I've got a small lunch of five loaves and two fish, it's certainly not enough to go very far. If you count it out, five and two, well, seven people can eat. And if you break it all in half, maybe 14 can eat. But that's humanly speaking. What can be done in the hands of Jesus or in the hands of God with the little that we have? Remember the story in the Old Testament with Elijah and the widow's oil. As he came to her house and she, was, she and her son uh, were probably on the path to starvation. And in that account, as he came into her house and she's telling him her sad story, remember the prophet said to her, well, how many containers do you have in your house? And she thought that an odd question. She said, well, I don't know. He said, well, go get as many as you can for your house and even go ask your neighbors. And so she went and she gathered bunches and bunches of containers. And in those days, you know, in our day, we're probably thinking like Tupperware or something like that. In their day, they're looking at little tiny bottles. And, and maybe in our world, we think of like a cruet. You know, it's like something you would keep oil or vinegar in. Okay. And so she went and she got all of those containers. We're not told how many she got. And then as she got them all, she said, well, that's it. That's all of them. So he said, take your jar of oil. She had a little jar of oil, which we're not told how much was in it, but certainly not much. And now she's got this sea of containers sitting in front of her. He says, just start pouring it in and filling them up. And so what happened is she began to pour out of that little container of oil. And until she had filled all of them, the oil kept flowing. So this is the same kind of a thing. What's in your hand? This is what happened on the day that Jesus fed the 5,000. And Jesus said in John's account of the same feeding of the 5,000, um, at the very end, he says, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And so we see that God doesn't waste anything, even to the last morsel. And we know there that they took up uh, 12 baskets full. That was way more than they had when they began, right? Remember, five loaves, two fish. A little later on in Mark's gospel, a couple of chapters later, they were dealing with the uh, scribes and the Pharisees, as they so often did, and they were, the, the passage, the title of the passage is actually called the leaven of the Pharisees, but they had been arguing over it, and as they were talking, they misunderstood what Jesus said, and they were just thinking about bread. Um, and Jesus said to them in Mark 8, having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? 
when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, 12. And also when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? Do not understand what? That anything in the hand of God can be multiplied. Anything, a life, resources, impossible situations. We do not understand and we do not realize the power and the resources of God because we too often evaluate the situation in light of ourself. We evaluate the situation in the light of our abilities. And God says to Moses, I'm calling you to do this. I will go with you. I will equip you. I will empower you. I will provide for you. Now, under the heading of what if they don't believe me, in verse 6, back in our passage of Exodus chapter 4, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. Now, if that language sounds familiar, just imagine you have a coat or a robe, and of course, it's kind of tucked over. And so he's talking about sticking his hand inside the, the flap of his robe or his, his outer garment. And so he said, put your hand in. So he put it in, and his hand went in where you couldn't see it. And then uh, he said, uh, take it out. And when he took it out, his hand was leprous. And of course, leprosy, if you're not uh, familiar with it, is a skin disease and your, your skin turns bright white and it just looks almost crusty. And it's actually as the, your extremities die and you sort of rot from the extremities in toward your body. And so clearly that was a miracle, just like throwing down the rod and the rod becoming a snake and then him picking up the rod and it becoming a rod again. So his hand turning leprous, and then of course he said, if they do not believe you, uh, put your hand in your bosom again, and he drew it out and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. And so God is saying, I'm going to equip you to do things. I'm gonna give you these signs as a minimum to go and to do what I want you to do and to use these things to convince the unbelieving hard-heartedness of people who will not accept your word, and it's not your word, and that was the mistake Moses made, what if they don't believe me? Because God said, you go speak to them my word. And so the problem wasn't that they wouldn't believe Moses' word, the problem was that they wouldn't believe God's word. Verse eight, then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, uh, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, even if they do not believe these two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the, then you shall take water uh, from the river and pour it on the dry land and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the land. So there's a third answer that God has given to him your rod becoming a serpent, then becoming a rod. Your hand, sticking it in, it becomes leprous. Sticking it back in, it becomes uh, pure and whole again. Now, you might look at this and say, well, this is just cheap magic tricks. Well, it's not. This is the power of God. Who else can do these kinds of things? And then if they won't believe either of those things, take a cup down to the river in front of their eyes. Scoop up a cup of water and come up and pour it out in front of them, and it comes out as blood. Blood. 
I mean, that's crazy, right? But God is saying, I'm going to do all of this, and I'm going to empower you with these things so that you can be my witness. Now, this is not at all different than what Jesus told his disciples would happen when the Holy Spirit would come upon them, right? He said, you'll be bitten by serpents, but you won't get sick and die. You will be able to heal. You will be able to do signs and wonders. And this is just like what God told Moses to do. And he said, you will receive power to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will go and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He never said they wouldn't suffer because they did. They all suffered. They all died a martyr's death except for John, who lived until well past 90 as he wrote the last books of the Bible. Then Moses said to the Lord, verse 10, you would think that might be enough, right? Then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So Moses here, in giving God his second excuse, says, well, you know, I, got, I get all that, and that's pretty cool, God, but... Maybe you missed the fact that I'm not really very good at public speaking. And when I try to speak, I get tongue-tied and I stumble over my words. Maybe I stutter, whatever it might be. So he's just saying, well, you know, Lord, that's all pretty cool. But, you know, are you sure? Do you understand my whole skill set here? What I do have and don't have, mostly what I don't have. And isn't that what we do when we make excuses to God? We're telling him why we can't do it and why I shouldn't go and... You know, I, I can't sing, I can't speak, I can't do this, I can't do that. Well, God, I don't know how to speak well. Remember, God said his name was I Am. And remember, we talked last week about how God was saying very clearly, clearly to Moses, who you are doesn't matter, it's who I am that matters. And he was saying to Moses, I am all you need. You see, God's name was not, I am not. His name was, I am. So again, Moses looking at himself and not at God. One person said this, the God who made us is able to use the gifts and abilities that he's given to us to accomplish that which he assigns to us. So the Lord said to him, verse 11, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? So God letting him know, reminding him, maybe the truth of Psalm 139, which of course hadn't been written, but that the Lord forms us in our mother's womb. And he knows all of our our days from the beginning, and our days are written in his book since before the foundation of the earth. And so Moses needs to learn that. And so do we, don't we? When we come up against anything that seems too difficult for us. And can I remind you again of when the Lord came and spoke, for example, to Mary, the lady who would be the mother of Jesus. How he said to her, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything impossible for God? So God reminded to Moses, as Moses said, I'm not able to speak. I made man's mouth, 
I've made the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind. I have a purpose and a plan for everyone. Now, verse 12, therefore go and listen to what he says. He's, he's listen to what he said before, I will be with you. Now he says, I will be with your mouth. Okay, Moses, you think your issue is your mouth? I'll be with your mouth. And I will teach you what you shall say. In other words, I don't want you to, I never expected you to rely upon your own abilities. I never expected you to rely upon your ability for eloquence. I just want you to open your mouth and speak the words that I give you to speak. So Moses has made two excuses and God has given two irrefutable answers. However, he comes up with another excuse in verse 13. But he said, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So as Moses has been speaking here to God, he says, number one, others will not believe me. And then he says, well, I don't speak well. And now he says, you know what? Somebody else can do it better than me. Ever said any of these things to God before in your life? Someone else can do it better. When the Lord called Saul of Tarsus to be his servant in Acts chapter 9. After that had happened, Saul of Tarsus had made it into the city of Damascus. And he had been sitting there basically in silence for three days. He was blind. And the Lord now speaks to this man, this little unknown, unnamed disciple off in the corner named Ananias. And so the Lord spoke to him and said, in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. In other words, he's seeking me. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, that's you, coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And now here in Acts 9.13, we hear Ananias saying something very similar to what Moses said. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man and how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So what's he saying? Uh, Isn't there somebody else you can send, Lord, other than me? But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So, thankfully, Ananias listened to the voice of the Lord. In verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Aren't you glad Ananias didn't continue to question and fight with God, and rather he accepted the word of the Lord and he obeyed, and he went and he laid hands on Saul, and he prayed for him, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. What an amazing thing. So as Moses here is saying these things to the Lord in verse 13, oh my Lord, please send somebody else. 
We find in verse 14, once again, an expression of the limits of God. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. Now remember, Moses left, he fled, and now he's out on the backside of the desert in the land of Midian. Presumably, um, Aaron was back home, right, where he had been raised. And so he's now saying to him, Aaron, your brother, the Levite, I know that he can speak well. Of course, God knows that. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Here's what one person had to say about this little exchange between God and Moses. There's uh, the suggestion in this verse, Exodus 4.14, that in accepting Aaron, Moses was confusing the Old Testament ministries. Aaron was to be the priest and Moses was to be the prophet. When God in his anger gives us what we selfishly want, that gift rarely turns out to be a blessing. One of the most painful judgments God can send is to let his people have their own way. We continue to press God and to fight against him. In fact, a similar example of this is in the book of Numbers. You may remember the children of Israel were now across the Red Sea. They've been delivered and they've been in the wilderness now for quite a while. God had been providing miraculously every single day to feed two and a half million or three million people, however many it was, daily with manna from heaven. And then remember they got tired of it. They got sick of it. And they began to grumble and to complain against the Lord. And finally the Lord said, okay, I'll give you meat. I'm going to send quail. So in Numbers chapter 11, God begins to send the quail. Uh, 11.32, and the people stayed up all that day, all night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail, and he who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kilboth Hatava because they buried the people who had yielded to craving. They complained against the Lord. The Lord gave them what they asked for, and then they they heartily and eagerly ran to it, but God did not desire that they have it, even though he gave it to them. And because those people had gone and eaten the quail, they ended up dying of sickness and disease. So be careful what you ask for. Be careful when you say to God, Lord, not me. I've told the story before. I told, we talked about this recently with the Monday night men's studies. We've been going through the gifts of the spirit. When Pastor Derek was leaving and he had been speaking to me and we'd been talking and praying about me taking over the church as he was going back to uh, his place he had been sent out from I was I can relate so much to Moses because I was saying these things to the Lord myself maybe not exactly the same words but the sentiment was the same and so we had been going back and forth Pastor Derek and I having these kinds of conversations that Moses was having with the Lord 
And we had finally arrived at a place in the conversation about this where he said to me, look, uh, we're going to need to quit messing around with this decision. And you're going to need to make a decision. And he gave me a timeline. He says, if you haven't made a decision by then, I'm going to have to kind of go back to my prayer closet and begin to try and discern who else the Lord might be calling to take over the church because I thought it was you. And so God began to speak to me very personally, and he gave me a series of three dreams to speak to me about this. And the irony of that is that, of course, over the years, I, uh, I was brought up in my early years, in a, and this, of course, is nothing against Baptists, but I grew up in a Southern Baptist church that was cessationist, meaning did not believe in the gifts and the ministry of the Spirit being for today in any way, shape, or form. And so that's what I had learned, even though I didn't know what it meant. But over the years, I had studied it and come to understand that that wasn't true and that God never said anything in his word to revoke those gifts. So the irony is that God appears to me in, in three dreams and speaks to me so plainly, so undeniably. Uh, I've got them written down somewhere in a journal, and I can never remember the first one, but the second dream was very poignant to me. Uh, we have here in uh, the church within the Calvary Chapels in New England every fall up at um, Alton Bay Christian Conference Center, uh, all or we invite all the New England Calvary Chapels to go up and we have three days alone to spend together with the Lord and have a little conference and you know, fellowship together. And so I had been going because I had been going to another Calvary Chapel that at that time was in Nashua. And I was, had been invited to go for several years to this conference. So, so I knew uh, all of the pastors and, and the key leaders that they brought with them. So in this dream, what God did is he, he, he gave me this vision of being at the conference. So I was very comfortable in the dream at the beginning. And I'm there. And there's this little room we've been meeting in for years, this little chapel. And the interesting thing was, in this dream, the only people in that room were all of the New England Calvary pastors. And as we were standing there fellowshipping, I began to get this uncomfortable feeling because I realized they were forming a circle around me. And I thought it was really odd, and I was kind of turning around, and I'm like, okay, what's up, fellas? You know, I thought I was going to get a beat down or something. And they all began to just very quietly go around the room, and they all spoke this word to me. It's time for you to take your place among us. Every single one of them as I went around the room, and then I woke up. And I was like, whoa, what, is, what was that, right? I didn't know what to do with it. I was, I'm like, was that you, Lord, or was that like wishful thinking on my part? Or, you know, I just kind of didn't know what to do with it. Well, sometime shortly after, within a few days, I had another dream. And this one was unique because in that dream, uh, there's a, you know, we have Christian radio, and there was a man I've heard on the radio for quite a while. Um, didn't know him. I liked him. I liked listening to his teaching. In this dream, I found myself in the lobby of the church building where he served, and finding my way back to where the offices were and saying, hey, may I speak to Pastor so-and-so? Is he in today? Just, you know, pop in right out of the blue. And his secretary said, let me check. She goes back. He's in his office, comes out and says, sure, he's here, and he has time for you. You can come in, so why don't you go on in? 
Now keep in mind, I, I, don't, I don't know this man. Never met him before in my life. And as I walk in, he says, why don't you come on in and sit down? And I introduce myself. And he says, well, what can I do for you? I understand you're here. You, I said, well, I, I kind of need some advice, some counsel. I don't really know what to do. So I began to tell him my story of sort of being called to be a pastor, but I've never been a pastor. I have no training. And I began to give him my list of excuses. And as I recall in my dream, there were 10 very succinct excuses. And here's what God did in the dream. So he's sitting on the other side of his desk, leaning back in his chair. I'm sitting on the, on the front side. And as I speak each one of my 10 excuses, it materializes on his desk like a little statue, which I presume was some kind of an idol. And as I said, well, you know, whatever. You know, I, I have no degree. I haven't studied to be a pastor. He had in his hand a quill, like you might think from signing the Declaration of Independence, right? So they dip it in the inkwell and a long quill that's kind of flowing in the air. He has this quill in the air, and he takes it and he just kind of knocks over the idol. Now, clearly, the idol is gold or stone or whatever it was, and so a feather is not going to knock it over. But as I spoke, each one of those ten objections and reasons why I couldn't accept the call to be a pastor. He, each one I spoke, materialized. He took his quill and knocked it over. We got through all 10, and he looked at me with a smile on his face and said, is there anything else? And I said, nope. And I got up and left, and the dream ended. And I woke up, I don't know, cold sweat, whatever it was, and I was just like, OK, Lord, I, <laughs> these two dreams are way too specific. And I picked up the phone and called Pastor Derek at that point, and I said, okay, God's been speaking to me. I, yes. I, I'm not going to say no to the Lord anymore. Yes. So God will get through to us, won't he? God spoke to Moses. He spoke to him very plainly. And if you go back and read chapter 3 and chapter 4, God was speaking to Moses very, very clearly. God appeared to him in a burning bush. He revealed himself to him. And now he says in verse 15, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what you shall do. God has said these kinds of things over and over and over through scripture. Don't look for the map to go where I want you to go. Just go and I'll direct you as you go. When you get there, I will equip you to do what you need to do. I will give you the words that you need to speak. When you get there, you will be empowered and enabled to work signs and wonders and to perform miracles in such a way that they will believe that I am God. And so, verse 16, shall he, that is Aaron, be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. Did you catch that in verse 16? And you shall be to him as God. God is saying, I'm going to speak to you. You'll give the words to Aaron. Aaron will be as the, the eloquent speaker that you said you're not. He will be the speaker to the people. And verse 17, and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. The lesson is plain. God knows us better than we know ourselves. So we must trust him and obey what he tells us to do. When we tell God our weaknesses, we aren't sharing anything he doesn't already know. 
the lesson is plain. We must trust him and obey what he tells us to do. The will of God will never lead you where the power of God can't enable you. Let me say that again. The will of God will never lead you where the power of God can't enable you. So walk by faith in his promises. Gideon, of course, when he was called of the Lord in Judges chapter 6, and in that account, we're told that the angel of the Lord came. That was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So he came to speak to Gideon. And there's a bit of irony here in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. He was hiding in a wine press from God and from the people. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so he, Gideon, said to him, the angel of the Lord Jesus, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Boy, does that sound familiar. Indeed, uh, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So I come from the bottom of the tribe totem pole, and I come from the runt of the litter. That's what he's saying. I'm at the very bottom of the bottom. And you're coming to me telling me I'm going to deliver the people? And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. Well, wow, that's what he told Moses, right? And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. And then the rest of that passage is, that's the, the fleece and all of those things where the Lord had to appear to him. And, you know, he set a bowl out and he took his staff and touched the bowl and it incinerated as an offering to the Lord. So it's not uncommon, of course, for the servants of the Lord as God calls in, to them and gives them instructions to have this kind of response in Jeremiah chapter 1, we find a very similar response. Uh, the Lord came to Jeremiah at that point in time. He was a young man, probably something less than 20 years old. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Listen to what he says. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Sound familiar? But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. What an amazing thing. And we see this again. This is not all the examples. These are just the few that came to my mind in preparing, and there's, there's others. So if we get nothing else out of this before we finish tonight, 
the title. Stop making excuses as to why you can't serve God or why you can't serve him in the way he's speaking to you. Because God created you. God is able to do anything. He is, just as he was able to take these servants and to put his words in their mouth and to empower them for his service, do you, do you understand that God's calling is God's enabling? So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. So now God's answering one of those questions he had in the back of his mind. When I go back, are they going to want to lynch me as soon as I walk up to them and he says nope already took care of that they're all gone you just go and do what I've asked you to do then Moses took his wife and his sons and he set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand notice it was a stick before now it's the rod of God and the Lord said to Moses when you go back to Egypt see that you do all those wonders so now Moses is beginning to walk in faith, and as he's going on the way, what is God doing? He's quietly and beautifully, gently beginning to encourage him. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart. So first he was talking to him about the people. Will they follow me? Now he's saying, when you go deal with Pharaoh, I'm going to harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So God is giving him not suggestions, but he's basically giving him a script. He's saying, this is what I want you to say to them. Now, just to zoom out a bit, if you read any of the prophets, read any of the situations, you know, Elijah, Elisha, you're going to see over and over where God says, tell them this. They were not free to paraphrase as they saw fit. They had to speak what God told them to speak. And dare I say today that as we watch on TV and at pulpits around the country and around the world, so many people wanting to make God cool and to make him your friend. And he is those things. But he isn't those things because I made him cool to you. He's cool to, because his word tells us who he is. And no pastor has the right, in my humble opinion, to just say what they want to say from the pulpit. Yes, we are called to preach and to teach, but we are not called to pontificate about things that are not written in God's word. We need to stick to God's word. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Right there in verse 43 is a prophetic look at the Passover. And the, the length that God would have to go to, to get Pharaoh to release his people to come and to worship him. So it came to pass, verse 24, on the way, 
at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Now let's take a moment here and consider what's happening. In Genesis chapter 17, I'm going to read beginning in verse 9 down to verse 14. And God said to Abraham, as as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who was born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who was not your descendant. He who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who was not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin That person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So what is going on here in verse 24? The consensus is that Moses and his two sons, one of them had not been circumcised. And God has called him to go back and to serve his people. But because he had not been faithful to keep something that God had already spoken, we find here, as you read on, Verse 25 and 26, then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of bloodshed to me. So God let him go. And then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So what's going on here? A couple of things I'd like to read to you to sort of help us understand what's happening. Moses had neglected to circumcise his second son, Eliezer, And God struck Moses down with an illness that could have taken his life. So what happened here is that God met him and it said sought to kill him. So he became deathly ill and somehow it became apparent to them what was happening and why. We get the impression that when Moses had circumcised Gershom, his firstborn, uh, this is a commentator speaking, Zipporah had been appalled at the ceremony and therefore had resisting having Eliezer circumcised. Moses let her have her way, and this displeased the Lord. After all, Moses couldn't lead the people of Israel if he was disobedient to one of the fundamental commandments of the Lord, which is what I just read in Genesis 17. Even if the Jews didn't know about it, God knew about his disobedience. And so that's kind of the prevailing opinion of what's happening here. Another um, commentator said here, um, There is often a point of confrontation in the life of the leader where God demands that they lay aside some area of compromise and he will not allow them to progress further until they do. That seems pretty poignant to me. Another one said, before before Moses could deliver the message, he had to learn obedience himself because there is this area in his life where he had not completely obeyed the Lord. Another one said, the claims of duty are not so easily dismissed. They are divine and therefore imperative. If neglected, they will follow a man through life and present themselves to him under every variety of circumstance, often with appalling effect and unhappy result. 
Service always finds out the weak point of our character and our conduct. Therefore, if we would be ready for the work of God, we must see to it that we are not guilty of neglected duty. One duty unperformed may nearly ruin us. And so in this moment here where Moses is being confronted by the Lord over what something we may look at as simple as, oh, you didn't circumcise your son to perhaps keep the peace in your family. Well, Zipporah here said, your husband of blood to me twice. So again, uh, they think that she probably objected to the right of circumcision and that there was this issue in their home that had never been resolved between them and Moses didn't insist that they would follow the Lord and follow through. They had circumcised one son, but not the second one. And so God looked at this situation and he said, Moses, this is not right. We have to deal with it. And God stopped Moses pretty much in his tracks until he dealt with the situation. Verse 27, and the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And so he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. Isn't that interesting? The whole time God's dealing with this stuff with Moses, he's also over here speaking to Aaron. And Aaron's back in Egypt, and he's now coming out to meet Moses. It's so cool to see that because we think today about, okay, I've got a text, I've got a call, I've got to get, you know, send him an email, whatever it might be. But God was taking care of all of the background work. Verse 28, so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him. Can you imagine after not seeing each other for 40 years, the reunion that they must have had? And the amazing thing that after not seeing his brother for 40 years that Aaron was glad to see his brother, he kissed him. And as Moses is telling Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. So notice that it seems that Aaron jumped right in. He's like, I'm with you, bro. Whatever you need, I'm there for you. So they gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. Then Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses, and then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So he threw down the rod, it became a snake. He stuck his hand in, and it became leprous. And if necessary, he took the cup of water and poured it out, and it became blood. So the people believed, verse 31. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. But you know, they had a choice, didn't they? They could have said, you know what? Why did you leave, here so, leave us here so long, God? Why did you make us suffer for all these years? But instead, they heard the word of the Lord and they responded to it. And they bowed their heads and worshipped. And praise God that they did that. Because we know later, and we'll get to this, as God is leading them, out and then gets them out on the other side of the Red Sea and all of that, that they begin to do the same thing that Moses did, to make excuses and to complain and to object to the good things that God was doing. But praise God that at this point, they believed and they accepted and they bowed their heads and they worshiped. So, if nothing else, stop making excuses. Stop questioning God. Stop asking him for answers to all of your questions because he will answer them either in his word or when he's good and ready.
Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for speaking to us and helping us to understand these things. It's so important for us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you and all of us, Lord. We're all sinful. No one's perfect. We know that. But Lord, we don't want to be like some of these examples we've looked at tonight and to walk in disbelief and, and, and to walk in a place where there's always a little edge between us and you, where there's always some moment where we want to rise up and say, see, I told you, God. And for any Lord who maybe are experiencing that kind of thing in their life, we pray for them this evening. And we ask that they might learn to say yes to you and no to sin and no to self, rather than giving in to the temptation of saying yes to self and yes to comfort and yes to doing things my way. Lord, hopefully by now we've learned that doing things our way never works. And we always end up, end up in a place of disappointment or failure. Just like the old songs that have been sung from years ago all the way through today, so many songs have lyrics like, I'm doing it my way. And those are words of death to the people of God. May we bend our knee before you. May we say yes to you, Lord. And may we believe you. May we be like Mary, who said to you, be it unto me as you have spoken to your servant. Lord, that's where we want to be. Help us, God, we pray, in our weakness and in our unbelief. Be merciful to God as sinners, to us as sinners. So, God, we bless you this evening. We thank you. We love you. Fill us with your love as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.